Thank you guys for coming. Uh, Before we start, I just want to say a quick prayer. Thank you, Father God, for this day. Thank you, Lord, for the opportunity to come together as men, as brothers in Christ, Lord, and to reflect on your word, to talk about the message that the Holy Spirit wants us to hear. Uh, Father, I ask that the Holy Spirit opens the minds and the hearts and that we are ready to receive your word, Father God. Thank you for this opportunity. Thank you for your favor and your love. It's your name we pray. Amen. So to start off, a little bit of you, uh, most of you know a little bit of my story. I'm not going to get too much into my story. When I was preparing this message, I noticed that a lot of it was about me. And um, I really felt like the Holy Spirit was prompting me to share a message that the Holy Spirit prepared, not one that I would be able to eloquently enough uh, communicate eloquently enough. So um, I'm going to try to breeze through my story and then get to the message that I want to share. Um, at the age of nine years old, uh, my biological father had been incarcerated. I had been through two divorces as a child. Um, and then the difficulties of growing up in a single parent home, living in rental homes, apartments, uh, both sets of grandparents' homes. The constant in my childhood was instability, emotionally, financially, mentally, physically, Um, unstable was kind of what we were used to. My mama developed me and my brother spiritually. She was very intentional with teaching us the word of God, coming to church often. She served often. Um, She really rooted us with a strong foundation in the word of God. That to me was the, that has been the most successful thing of my life is that my mama rooted me in the word of God. I had a hole in my heart from not having a father. And, well, let me, let me backtrack a little bit. One of the other things my mama did that's so incredibly important was she framed Hayden and my perception of what we were going through with positive light. She never talked to us about negative situations we were in, negative environments we were in. We never, even now looking back, I don't view my childhood as bad or negative even. It was difficult. There were struggles. There was suffering. But I'm thankful that my mother helped shape the way that we viewed how we were being brought up. We were being brought up as fighters, as tough young men. Um, and to be honest, the, the hole that an earthly father had left in my heart, I, I knew as a young boy, the only thing that could fill that hole was my heavenly father. And so from an early age, I was able to set my mind on things above and um, really helped me to grow as a man. So that void, that hole in my heart, I thought that, well, I trusted and believed that God would fill that hole. I did not know how that would happen. And as I grew up, um, I was hoping it, maybe it's this year. Maybe it's by my 11th birthday, 12th birthday, 13th birthday. It turns out it was a journey that took around 23 years before I started to see how God actually was going to fill that void in my life. Um, Caitlin, my seraphic wife, and I were, we found out we were expecting our first child, Kaya. And the Holy Spirit really started to work on me in revealing how that void of a father in my life was going to be filled. I started to feel, feel the love of God in a way that I'd never felt before. All of the parents and fathers in here can understand the way that you love your first child is different than any other love that you've ever experienced. And I started to see not only how much I loved my children, but how much I was loved as a child of God. And I know that for me, I started to realize how God was developing me, had been developing me to become the man 
the husband and the father that I always wanted in my life. Now I was going to be able to be that man for my children. And to me, I know that there'll be another level of love whenever my daughter has children and I become a grandfather that I'll get to see a new level of God's love for me. Um, but that love that I have for my children, the, the opportunity to become the man that I was hoping I would have in my life is, is how God is filling that hole. And it's, I'm still healing. Um, the healing process began for me in fourth grade. My mother, my mama, successfully petitioned Lincoln to allow me as, to play on a fifth and sixth grade football team as a fourth grader. The nine to 12 year age gap is pretty difficult to overcome. And um, that was actually the worst season statistically for me personally and as a team. We won one game and I got pummeled all year by kids two and three years older than me, but I love football, so it didn't matter. Um, But that season remarkably changed my life. My coach, Curtis Fullingham at the time, he fell in love with my mother my brother, myself, and he married my mama. He adopted us. He gave us a last name, Fullingham. Being 10 years old and receiving not just a father that I'd always wanted, but a last name gave me the foundation to begin to build my identity. So at 10 years old, I, w- I felt like this is a last name that's permanent for me. And so that, that's kind of how my mindset was framed. I'm a coach now. And I love pouring into kids. I know the influence and the impact that you can have on kids. It would not be that way for me if it wasn't for Curtis. Um, My coach, my dad, he made a lasting impact that I knew growing up. I want to make the impact that he's had on me. I want to replicate that. I want to influence other kids the way I was influenced. I want to impact kids the way I was impacted. And so thank you, Dad. Um, Football has always been important to me. It is, I used to, my mother says, I used to sit in front of the TV in a car seat and watch NFL games and and watch college football games on Saturday. I loved football. Um, I believe a lot of that was marketed to me as a young boy because that's what a man is. A man is an NFL football player, so that's what I wanted to be. As a boy without a father, you kind of gravitate towards masculinity and in a home, for all boys, and this hasn't changed, the media markets that to our kids, marketed it to me. Um, I really wanted to be a football player. Some of the guys that I looked up to, um, probably not the best off the field, but I loved these guys. Rocky Kalmus, that was my first football number, number 20. I wanted to be like Rocky Kalmus. Ray Lewis, 52. That was my number all through high school. Lawrence Taylor, 56. That was my number in eighth grade. Dick Buckus, 51. I never wore his number, but I loved Dick Buckus. He was ruthless, and I wanted to play the game like that. I looked up to these guys so much. Not only did I model my behavior on the field like them, but I noticed something, and you guys have probably all noticed this. When you see NFL football players flash across the screen, they have these huge necks. And as a little boy, six, seven, eight years old, I noticed that, and I realized if you, know, if you want to be a man, you've got to have a humongous neck. And so I would lay down on my bed, and I would put a helmet on, and I would put weights on my head, or I remember even one time, this is, this is weird, but I put the ottoman on my head, and I was just doing neck extensions because I wanted a big neck, and I thought that's what being a man was because that's what I saw on TV. These were men. This was a character or a characteristic or an attribute that they had. I wanted that, so I worked very hard for a neck. Um, 
Another man who influenced me through media was Doc Holliday, Val Kilmer. This definitely wasn't the best influence on my life, but I loved Doc Holliday. He was like a bad guy who was also good. He fought for the right things because he loved people, but you, were, you knew, like, I don't think he's here for the same reason all of us are here. That was Doc Holliday, and to me as a little kid, I loved Doc Holliday. So much so that the, in this room, this used to be kids on the move, they would pass out communion, we'd all take communion and pray, and then they would stack all the cups up, and you're supposed to pass them down, but we would always stash ours and smuggle them out because we wanted to use these communion glasses as shot glasses like Doc Holliday did. And it's, looking back, it's very sacrilegious, but... And I'm pretty sure that the kids on the move staff knew because they started like collecting them and you were not allowed to smuggle these communion glasses out. But this is, I saw this behavior modeled through television, through movies, and I wanted to mimic it. I, did, I had no idea what alcohol was. I had never seen anybody take shots in front of me except for Doc Holliday and Tombstone. Um, and then my, the, one of the biggest influences on my life, uh, Maximus Decimus Meridius, the gladiator. If you haven't seen the gladiator, young men, Watch the gladiator. Um, he was a general who fell, was betrayed, had his family ripped away from him, had everything he loved ripped away from him, fought back as a slave, defied the emperor, defeated the emperor, and then gave his life with, to his men. You, you're free. Free my men were his last words as he entered into Elysium. This, I wanted to be like Maximus so much as a little kid. I remember Hayden, Steel, and Stone, my brothers and I, we'd be playing in the woods um, at our family's land, and we would be fighting imaginary forces, and inevitably, I would get attacked. I would get wounded or maimed somehow, and I would always fall down and, leave me behind, I'll fight for you guys, you guys go. And I, I did this all the time, and Hayden and I talk about it now, but this dumbfounded my brother's. We, Hayden would always be like, I just, I want to run across the field and you're laying here. I can't carry you. We're not dragging you. And we're fighting an imaginary force. You don't have to die. You don't always have to get wounded. But I thought that that was being a man. I wanted to be a man that sacrificed myself for those that I loved. And I thought that that was the way that you did it. Um, so I ruined a lot of our, our, you know, imaginary forces and fights that we lost that we could have won. Those, that's the way media shaped me. Um, the way that uh, the way that men around me shaped me has been monumental in my life. That that whole of not having a father to, to sit with you at lunch during Father's Day luncheons, and I'm seeing all these other dads eat with their kids, and I just wanted that so much for myself. I didn't have that. I didn't have dad um, for the first nine years of my life to give me quarters when I scored goals in soccer. To the small things that I think a lot of us take for granted. A young boy without a father, he notices it. He's observing all of the men around him. Some of the men that had the biggest impact on my life that were not on the TV screen, uncles, cousins, other athletes, uh, Caleb and Cody, um, they played football, and in high school, I thought they were going pro. I could have sworn Caleb could punt across a field, and Cody was fast. He was really fast. So I thought, I thought they were going pro. I looked up to them. I hung on every word they said. I got to work for them through commercial roofing, and they poured into me and mentored me, and they mean more to me than I think they know. Um, my uncle Colin was like an older brother to me. He would pelt us with water balloons, which is why I have the same mentality towards my cousins and younger kids. They can take it. Um, that's kind of the mentality he had on us, but he showed us that I was just like him. He was an older brother to me, and he monumentally impacted my life. There's Jeremy Wilson Guest, won a national championship at OU. Every time he was around, I hung on every word. Shane Walton, 
my cousin that graduated from Notre Dame and All-American in 03, he, I hung on every word. As a young boy, I looked up to these men. Jeremy Fullingham played at Arkansas Tech. My dad played at Air Force Academy. All of these men around me, they were masculine men. They had this game in common. They were good at this sport, and I hung on that. I listened to them. I watched them. I observed them. My grandpa, Carl, the most loving, hardest working, most spiritual man I've ever known, he's always greeted me with bear hugs, even to this day. Um, I actually had to, I think at around 21, I had to pull back on my end of the bear hug because I was, it started to be a little bit stronger than I remember. Um, but he pushed me to own my thoughts, taught me about the law of attraction, pushed me to seek God in a way that I had not done before. Um, there's my papa, my wadi. He is the family's real-life rock star. He's actually been in bands since he was, like, in the 60s, long hair, pink bell-bottoms, the whole gig. He's awesome. Um, he's hilarious. He makes everything funny, and he was very almost cynical, and that side of him allowed me to know that he was genuine. He was real. When he told me he loved me, I knew he meant it. As Grampy, Dr. Fulling, the smartest man I've ever been around, a jack-of-all-trades, taught me to shoot guns, wire houses, plumb houses, work on cars, um, he stitched me up and taught me to stitch myself up with mattress knots anytime I needed to because he stitched me up often. And um, vast amounts of knowledge, just a man that, these are all men that I looked up to. I wanted to be like these men. They were in my family. And I never told, I don't think any of them growing up, like, hey, I really look up to you. They were just men who modeled masculinity to me. They modeled love to me. They showed me that they cared, and I followed that. There's men in the church Pastor George, obviously, but as a kid, I saw him as Bill Gunter, the covenant writer. This was a man who was a bad dude, a bad cowboy. I would say bad is like in good. Uh, he, was, he, was, he fought, he shot guns, he rivaled Doc Holliday. He prayed, and this was a guy that fortunately for me, I had Doc Holliday and Bill Gunter in my life because it could have been imbalanced if I didn't. Um, Brother Randy spoke, Randy DeBell. He spoke, uh, kids on the move. He had a mullet. Uh, facial hair. This was a man's man. I wanted to be like him. I wanted a dad like him when I was a little boy. And then my coaches, Curtis Fullingham, Danny, Den- Danny Henry, Danny Davidson, Pat Foster, Tim McCorder, Mark Delaney, Dusty Otis, Lael DeVilbus, Steve Patterson, Brad Ballard, Glenn Spencer, Rob Glass, Darren Melton, Jerry Ricky. All of these men impacted my life along the way with words, speaking life into me, developing my character. I never told any of them hey, you're doing a great job modeling uh, manhood to me. You're doing a great job modeling masculinity to me. They were just there for me. That's, we, we need more men like this. And you guys have to be aware of who is looking up to you. Who are you modeling masculinity to? Who are you modeling manhood to? When you complain, when you're on the job site, whenever you get home from work, your behavior is being watched. There are little kids, your, your son's friends even, your daughter's friends are watching you to see what a man's like. Your daughters and, and your daughter's friends are watching you to see how a woman is supposed to be treated. Do ne- never take lightly the type of influence you have, the impact you have on the kids that are watching you. Um, I just named 32 men that have influenced me, and we all need men like that. Without a father, I looked to all 32 of those. I tried to pull the best things from them. But all of those kids are doing the same thing, not just with their dad, not just with you but with the men around them. As a church, we're responsible to modeling behavior that anybody who's observing will be able to imitate and we can be proud of. So how do we model scriptural manhood, scriptural masculinity? It's our character. Um, I'm gonna go through character pretty quick because I wanna get to the main point, but authenticity, be real. 
1 Corinthians 6, 19, do you know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own. You were bought with a price, so glorify God in your body. Who you are drives what you do. Your beliefs, your belief system drives your behavior. If your identity is rooted in Christ, is rooted in knowing that you are not your own, you will be authentic. You cannot be authentic by faking a persona, by being one way at work, one way at church, one way at home. Somebody who's with you and sees all those sides of you knows you're not authentic and they don't trust you. Consistency, this is the second big one for character. Therefore, my brothers, I'm sorry, 1 Corinthians 15, 58. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. Steadfast, immovable, always abounding. These are words for consistency. Consistency is what young boys are looking to as a man. As a man, that's what we're called to be, consistent. In relationships and finances and work, be consistent. Enthusiasm gets you, it helps a lot, but I'm not a big fan of over-enthusiasm because I've seen it be a lie. I've seen it be inauthentic. I've seen enthusiastic men who wanted to help me so much in my life, but they couldn't stand the course of time, the journey that I was on. They weren't there for it. They were just enthusiastic along the way. Enthusiasm is good in a lot of areas, but consistency, being authentic, that's what will carry you through. So character is crucial to our manhood. It's the defining factor of what people see in our behavior, and it's the representation of our belief systems. What do you believe about yourself? What do you believe about others? What do you believe about God? So the first slide, perception. We have to change our mindset a little bit for what I'm about to talk to you about. Set your mind on things above. Colossians 3.2, set your mind on things that are above, not on the things that are on earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ and God. When Christ who is your life appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. We are called to set our mind on things above, okay? So the opportunity we have as men to model our character comes from suffering. Suffering is, a, there's a lot of negative connotations surrounding it. Any athlete understands how to embrace suffering, right? Most hard workers know how to embrace suffering. Whenever everyone else fades away, the hardest workers that know how to embrace suffering, they're the most successful. Athletes do this. Nobody likes to squat. I do goblet squat now, not because it makes me stronger, but because I know that it makes me suffer. And I trust that suffering is good for me. So types of suffering, I'm going to talk about two today. Suffering in spirit, which is dying in our spirit because of our character, our actions, our patterns and habits of the flesh. And then suffering in flesh, which is dying to the flesh to grow the desires of the spirit. Only from a place of comfort can we actually understand suffering. If you are comfortable not squatting, then squatting will be suffering to you. If you are comfortable um, eating a whole lot of ice cream, then suffering will be not eating a whole lot of ice cream. Once you have comfort in your life, you have the opportunity to suffer. And this opportunity is where we begin to reveal our character. So let's talk about suffering in spirit, the desires of the flesh. This suffering in the spirit that is produced by our actions requires an awareness that it is my fault. I take ownership of what's happening. My behavior that's producing the suffering is on me. A lot of us have these issues that we struggle with that cause us spiritual suffering. And then we try to act like we're a victim or get pity or get support from other people for what we're going through. But it's on you. 
You've brought this suffering on yourself. It's your character that's brought this suffering on yourself. Take ownership over what's going on in your life and correct it. Um, You must realize that you can't get out of something. You can't get out of suffering or get to something else by hiding or avoiding. You have to go through it. So if you're putting off this fight of dealing with the suffering that you brought on to yourself, be prepared to go through it. Because on the other side, there's growth. A lot of us are comfortable with lustful thoughts. We're comfortable with pornography on our phones or in our homes. We know that this causes suffering in our spirit, suffering in our relationships, suffering with guilt, with shame. This this is not the type of suffering that produces growth. This is the type of suffering that is stifling our spirituality, that's stifling our ability to connect with God. We have to address this as men. The next suffering, this is, this is where we grow, suffering in our flesh. This produces spiritual growth, Romans 3, 5, and we boast in the hope of the glory of the Lord. Not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance character, and character hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. This is the suffering that produces our character, produces hope in God, It produces growth spiritually. Whenever we are able to embrace dying to the flesh, our spirits begin to grow. All athletes understand this. You lift weights to break your muscles down. You push yourself beyond your capacity so that you're sore, and that soreness you know is the the expanding of your capacity. It's the ability for your muscles to perform more next time. This is what we can do with our hearts and our minds if we know how to suffer, if we know how to put our flesh on the cross. If we know how to take our earthly desires and die to them, we can grow spiritually. Peter is a man who modeled suffering incredibly. In Matthew 16, 16, Jesus asked his disciples, who do you say I am? Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. And Jesus replied, blessed are you, son Simon, son of Jonah. For this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter. And on this rock, I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. So Jesus just names Peter Petra or Rock, which I think all of the men can agree that's a pretty big nickname to get from the Son of God. So Peter's feeling pretty good about himself. Jesus goes on to predict his death. From that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law. And he must be killed and on the third day raised to life. Peter, the Rock, who's feeling pretty good about himself, has the courage to begin to rebuke Jesus, the Son of God, whom he just claimed was the Son of God, and now he's rebuking him. Never, Lord, this shall never happen to you. Jesus turned and said, get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. Then Jesus said to his disciples, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross to follow me. Peter knows Jesus is the Messiah, then rebukes him and says, no, don't suffer, don't die. He didn't understand the spiritual gift Jesus had to give to us, that it was through his physical suffering, it was through his physical death that we were going to be able to grow spiritually. Jesus had in mind the things above. Peter had in mind the things of earth. So suffering is a path that Jesus has modeled for us. Isaiah 53.3, he was despised and rejected by mankind, a man of suffering and familiar with pain. I'm not saying all this to say that we were created to suffer like David Goggins and some other books that I've read that talk about pushing yourself to the limit. I I don't think we are created to suffer. I think we are created to house 
the, the spirit of God, to be a temple for God and his glory. And all of us are unique in that. And all of us are the same in this. We have to die to our flesh in order to house the, the, the body of Christ, in order to become like Christ. Toughness, perseverance, these are all fruits of suffering. When we suffer, it reveals our character, builds our character, and it builds our perseverance, which we know is toughness. You want to be a tough man, know how to suffer. Here's our weapon. This is what Jesus modeled for us. It's our attitude. 1 Peter 4.1. Peter, I think he's grown a little bit since the last encounter that we just talked about. Therefore, since Christ suffered in his body, arm yourselves with the same attitude, because whoever suffers in the body is done with sin. And as a result, they do not live the rest of their earthly lives for evil human desires, but rather for the will of God. Arm yourselves. This sentence to me is profound. This, this chapter is profound, really. But Peter here is talking about the same man who rebuked Jesus for needing to suffer is now saying, arm yourselves with this attitude, his attitude. So the opportunity for us to grow as men is to suffer. The weapon that we use is our attitude. Everybody suffers, okay? So suffering is not going to set you apart. It's the attitude that you have in the midst of your suffering, right before the suffering and after the suffering that sets us apart. It's Christ's attitude that he modeled. And the promise for us is whoever suffers in the body is done with sin. That, to me, is profound. There's not too many places in the Bible where it says, hey, do you want to be done with sin? This is how you do it. Peter's is very implicit right here. Suffer in your body and you'll be done with sin. Die to your flesh. Die to your earthly desires. And sin won't be an effect on you. You'll be thinking about things that are much bigger than the finite world we live in. We'll be thinking about eternal things, the kingdom of God. Here's the model of arming ourselves that Jesus modeled for us. Empty yourself. Take up your cross and die to your earthly desires. Number two, submit. Jesus said it best. Not my will, but yours be done. Jesus is talking about the will of God, setting his mind on things above. A godly man is a man that embraces suffering and arms himself with an attitude like Christ. Christ was flogged, beaten, tortured, mocked. And then he stands before Pontius Pilate, and Pontius Pilate is pleading with the Messiah, trying to give him grace, trying to give him mercy. And Jesus speaks to him with the authority of a king, not a king of earth, an authority that no doubt in my mind Pontius Pilate had never experienced. Jesus speaks to him with the boldness and the truth that only someone who is connected to the Heavenly Father can speak with. This is the attitude we have to arm ourselves with, an attitude that nothing on this earth is going to break us. We will not be broken by our circumstances, by the situations, by our failing. We will not be broken by our flesh. We will break our flesh first. We will grow through suffering, and we will produce a spirit that yields fruit, the fruit that Jesus spoke about, the fruit that Peter writes about. The authority that we gain from having an attitude to embrace suffering is the authority that is our freedom. This is the freedom that we get. When we submit to the will of God, when we submit to the eternal Father, we begin to have the authority that we get through him. We are not on authority levels of earth. We're not bosses and managers and business owners. We're something tied to something bigger, tied to something greater. And because of that, we have the ability to affect those around us in the same way. Teach young boys, model behavior to young boys of embracing suffering, of having an attitude that anything bad happens to you, you don't complain, you're not cussing, you're not one way on the job site, one way at home, one way at church. Have the same consistent behavior, the same attitude 
that Christ had when he embraced suffering. Forrest Bondurant in Lawless, um, another one of the movies that influenced me, said, it's not the violence that sets men apart. It's the distance that they're willing to go. I love this quote because this is how Hayden and I grew up. You cannot beat me up and win. You can't beat me in a football game and win. I will watch that film 15 times. The only way to beat me is to kill me because I refuse to lose. Violence will not set us apart. It's the distance that you're willing to go. And I'm on a level distance-wise where I'm seeking things that are eternal. 100 years, 50 years, 60 years, really in the big scheme of things for my eternal life, that, that doesn't mean a whole lot. The distance that I'm willing to go is one that God's called me to, eternal life with him. So I'm submitting to a plan that's eternal. When a lot of people on earth are submitting to a plan that's a 10-year investment, a 20-year investment, a 30-year commitment, submit to something bigger than yourself. Go the distance. Jesus was willing to endure suffering and torture and death for spiritual gain that became our salvation. What distance are we willing to go to be set apart? What distance as a man are you willing to go to embrace suffering to show the people that are watching you, the young men that are watching you, the the old men that are watching you, what kind of man you are. Embrace suffering. Have an attitude like Christ, an attitude of authority, an attitude of submission. And in that, you will be modeling scriptural masculinity. You'll be showing young boys who are watching you, like myself, that this is what a man looks like, a man who can embrace suffering and hold his daughters and sing Elsa songs and dance around. We want to be that type of man. We want to be the men that have both extremes. So my challenge for you guys is embrace suffering. Some of us are going through things right now that are very difficult. Know that through this suffering, you will produce character. And that character will produce perseverance, and the perseverance will produce hope, hope in Christ. So submit and arm yourselves with the same attitude as Christ. Thank you.